Good morning, Gateway. If you're visiting with us, my name's Ed. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are, we are really glad to have you, and happy Father's Day. We are working our way through a series of conversations from the book of Exodus in a, in a series we've called Rescued. And uh, today we're, we're working through Exodus chapter 19. And if you read this casually, or even if you read this devotionally, you know, you might uh, run through this like a speed bump. This is an incredibly important section of scripture. There's a paragraph from Exodus 19 that's kind of epic. And it will sound familiar to you if you're familiar with the Old Testament, but it's, it's, it's really the first time that God has said this to the whole people of Israel. So Althea this morning is going to read for us from Exodus 19, and she's going to read from 1 Peter in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you would, let's go old school, stand out of reverence for God's word as Althea reads Exodus 19 and then 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And now from 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his, mar into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Althea, do you mind praying for us? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. We just sang that now. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your mercies which are new every day. Thank you for reminding us and encourage us, encouraging us to abstain from the desires that wage war in us and help us to live our lives such that people will see our good deeds and come to glorify you. I thank you for all the dads and dads who are filling in who are here today. I pray that you'll continue to bless them with the wisdom, understanding, patience, love, and all that they need to continue to fulfill what you have given them to fulfill. All these things and more I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I, I was watching television this morning and I looked at uh, CNN and there was a guy on CNN who has visited a new African-American museum in Charleston, South Carolina, and they, they have this program for uh, African-American uh, Ameri people who grew up in America, African-Americans, and um, they uh, traced their lineage. And so they were revealing this guy's lineage, and it was really, uh, it was very powerful. They're going to show the full thing, I think, next week or tomorrow, I don't remember when. Uh, and it reminded me that we, um, you know, we kind of know who we are a little bit from our, our lineage, our, it's Father's Day. We know who we are 
when we know who our parents are and then our, our, our grandparents, etc. This passage today is a little bit about that. I'll explain in a minute. I don't know if you have seen the movie The Born Identity. Um, boys and girls, if you have not seen this, someday you should see The Born Identity. It's about a, a secret agent, a guy named Jason Bourne, and he gets injured and he has uh, incredible uh, amnesia. So he can't remember anything about himself, but as he's just kind of going through his life, he, he discovers he's got all these skills. And when I remember watching it years ago with my children, and I reminded them that I'm a lot like Jason Bourne. And just in, just in the, I'm just talking about the skill level. But he has all these skills, but he, he, um, he doesn't know who he is. And uh, without knowing who he is, he can't use his skills in a coherent way, or in an effective way, or in a meaningful way. We can't use our skills, and we have skills, but we can't use our skills meaningfully if we don't know who we are. Plus, maybe more importantly, if we don't know who God is, then we don't know our place in the world. We don't know who's for us and who is against us if we don't know who God is. Remember Jason Bourne didn't know, if you've seen the movie, you know Jason Bourne didn't know who his bosses were. He didn't know who had made him. He didn't, he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. That, and that's what we're like if we don't know who God is. Exodus 19, passage Althea read for us, tells us both of those things. Now remember, uh, if you're new you have, uh, with us, you haven't heard this, but when you read the book of Exodus, you've got to remember that God was training his people. He was forming his people. They, were, they, they really were a ragtag group of, of tribes. They didn't know one another. They didn't know, they didn't know him. He was forming them and training them. And that's what this whole uh, book is about, this series is about, our, our rescue series. So where we are in Exodus 19, they have been released from slavery in Egypt. They've, they've crossed the Red Sea for about three months. They've made their way across the desert, and now they are camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is the place where Moses is going to go up on the mountain, and we're going to hear about the mountain today. Moses is going to go up on the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments, and that happens in uh, Exodus chapter 20. Now look, you might, you might never expect, if you're just reading through the uh, book of Exodus, that this passage, as I said, is as epic as it is, but one commentary called the paragraph that Althea read for us, the heart of the Old Testament. If you're the kind of person that underlines things in your Bible, you might want to go home and underline Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. This paragraph is like an overview of almost everything that will happen afterwards. So first, let's look at this from the perspective of the Israelites, the people, the slaves who've been released from Egypt. In this exchange, the Israelites are going to learn three incredible things about themselves. First of all, we learn from these verses that they, they learned they were a people who had seen God. Look at verse 4. They were eyewitnesses. They saw it. Think about this. Have you ever noticed that God's activity is not evenly distributed across your life? Do you know what I mean? There are times in your life when you sense, hey, God is involved. He's really active. And you sense his presence. You see God's stuff. And then there are other periods of your life where you don't really sense his involvement at all. 
And then there are those, there, there, there's periods he disappears. Well, the same is true across human history. God doesn't operate evenly. For example, there was only one generation that, that actually witnessed the life and ministry of Jesus. And the same is true with the story of the Exodus. The events described in the book of Exodus, they are like on God's all-time top five hit list. They might be in his top two. And, and there's a reason that the entire Old Testament, when you read through it, the entire Old Testament and the New Testament, regularly those authors hearken back to the events of the Exodus because God has rarely moved so incredibly, so visibly, so powerfully. And these people, Moses' first audience, they saw it. They were eyewitnesses. And for generations, that would inform who they were. It was the foundation of their identity. Our people actually saw it. That's who we are. We are the eyewitnesses of God. Secondly, we learn from these verses that these people were offered a real relationship with God. Stay with me. That's what's happening here. And that just increasingly defined who they were. It does the same for us, P.S. Let me explain. Have you ever noticed that God accommodates himself to us? He, when he's communicating to us, he accommodates himself to us. Boys and girls, uh, teenagers, if you have younger brothers and sisters, you know when you talk to your younger brothers and sisters, you, you talk a little differently. You use different vocabulary. They can't understand everything. You accommodate yourself to them. That's what that word means. You know, I've, I've never heard anyone say, I feel like God is communicating himself to me, but I didn't understand anything he said because the whole time he spoke in Italian, and I don't speak Italian. I've never heard that because God accommodates himself to us. Many of you have had God communicate himself to you through a song or through something we've said on Sunday morning or through a friend or through an experience or through the Bible or God has spoken directly into your thoughts. And when that has happened, God has accommodated himself to you. You have, you have heard him in a way that you understand. We have a few scientists here in our congregation, literal scientists. I don't know if any of you have ever snuck up on a conversation when they're talking with one another. <laughs> Some of you can understand that conversation. But for me and, and many of us, it is right over my head. When they talk to me, they have to dumb themselves. They have to accommodate themselves to me. Here, here's why I say all of that. The Old Testament frequently, frequently talks about God's covenant with his people. You've heard that before if, if you're familiar with the Bible. And that covenant language, that sounds like fancy Bible talk, but it's not. Ancient peoples understood covenants very, very well. This was part of their native worldview. So God was accommodating himself to them using images and languages, language that they understood. Covenant is the word they used to describe nearly all of their legal relationships with one another, especially when clans related to other clans or when nations related to other nations. They made covenants with one another. Everybody understood this. And these ancient covenants often sounded like parts of our Old Testament. In the ancient world, when a great kingdom went out to war, or maybe even in a time of peace, 
they could utterly overwhelm lesser kingdoms, often easily, and they often did. But sometimes it wasn't in their interest to do so. And at other times, merely out of goodwill, they wouldn't do so. Instead, they would offer a covenant to the lesser kingdom. This was very familiar to ancient people. For instance, sometimes uh, uh, a person of the court of a lesser kingdom would marry someone from the court from a greater kingdom in order to initiate a covenant because they knew if they had a covenant with one another, they were entering into relationship. And these covenants would sound something like this. I am the great king and, and my, the sun never sets on my kingdom. We are now in a covenant. If you pay me an annual due and if you never encroach on my borders, I will protect you against all outsiders who might attack you. It will be as if you are us or something like that. In Exodus 19, God told Moses to make this kind of offer to the Israelites on his behalf. Let's not miss this. To our ears, this sounds kind of like this hardcore, conditional, you better obey me kind of thing, but that's not the way the Israelites would have heard it. In the section Althea read for us, God actually made an offer of relationship to the Israelites. The greatest king, the king of the universe, the king who had just performed all of these wonders that they had seen, he offered to be in relationship with them. Even more, more than just a covenant, he told them that out of all peoples, they would be precious to him. Now, this didn't mean that he would love only the Israelites. In fact, God's desire was always that, that they would be his instrument to the whole world. We'll get to that in a minute. But it does mean that they stand in a unique relationship with God. They will have first place, essentially. The word translated treasured here, look at it in verse 5. Treasured, uh, it's the Hebrew word segula, and it indicates the most prized part of a royal treasury. So, for example, 1 Chronicles 29, later in the Old Testament, that records a time when King David was collecting resources for the eventual building of the temple in Jerusalem. A huge offering was going to come in. And David knew that, but he wanted to inspire it and take it to the next level. So he said that he would give, King David would give from his personal royal account, not just from the kingdom's account, but from his personal royal account. He said this in verse 3 of 1 Chronicles 29, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasure. And the word there is segula. The Israelites were being offered a real relationship with Almighty God. They would be his segula. And this would profoundly influence how they saw themselves from here on out and how they would act. Look, they were clearly people with many skills. And by the way, for a group of completely disorganized, just released slaves, they were also shockingly wealthy. But none of that skill... And none of that wealth could be used rightly or coherently unless they knew who they were. Who are we aligned with? Who, who, who's, who are our enemies? Who are our friends? What are we supposed to do next? Who are we? Just like Jason Bourne, they would have been lost in the desert if they didn't know who they were and who God was. 
Well, after this point, they knew that they were people who had seen the living God. And they knew that they were people who had an intimate relationship with the living God. And thirdly, from this encounter, they learned that they were to represent God. That they were literally going to be God's messengers to the world. That's who they were. Remember, when Jason Bourne didn't know who he was, he didn't know what he was supposed to do early in the movie. He doesn't even know where his home is. He, he has no idea what to do. Okay, so let's back up to the beginning of this Exodus story. Moses had come to the people. If you've been here, you may remember. And he said, God has heard you. He's going to deliver you out of Egypt. That's how this began. Yay, Moses. Yay, God. And, you know, after some bumps and bruises, it actually happened. Yay. Yay, Moses. Yay, God. But now what? what? Where do we go? Okay, we're supposed to go over to that little strip of land next to the Mediterranean that our ancestors used to live on. But what happens then? What, what now? Who are we? So God said, Moses, tell them there are people who've seen me. Tell them out of all peoples, I want to have a relationship with them. And thirdly, tell them that they will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's literally what it says Let's explain what that means. In other words, they would represent God to the world through what they said and by praying for the world. That is, they would be a kingdom of priests. But also, they would represent God to the world through their life as a people, the way they were organized, the way they acted toward one another, and the way they treated outsiders. In other words, they would be a holy nation. And then they would try to pull all, this is the Old Testament I'm about to give you a summary of. They would try to put all this into practice. They'd try to figure it out. They'd try to discern what it meant. They would fail. They would try again. They would fail again. They would hear from God again, the same message again. They would try again. They would fail again. And this is the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of these people and their children trying to be who God wanted them to be here who God told them that they were here. Now, eventually, Jason Bourne discovered that he had been trained and deployed by this organization called Treadstone. You remember that? A Treadstone was actually a secret operation of the CIA. And essentially, he had been created by Treadstone. All of his skills, all of his resources, even his name was created by Treadstone. And Treadstone had used him to do all these very secret often terrible things. But for these Israelites, they had been created by God. And they had been formed by him over generations. He had given them their wealth, and he would continue to provide for them. And, and through the desert experience, as I said, they were being trained. They were being educated. And in this passage, he began to bring clarity to why all of this had happened. He intended to bless them so that they would be a blessing to others. He intended to send them out to participate with him in doing good throughout the world, to participate with him in showing the whole world who he was. And all of that, all of that makes what Althea read for us in 1 Peter this morning even more amazing. Don't snooze on this. Peter had realized a startling truth and he shared that truth with us. This great revelation that came to the Israelites in Exodus 19 and the great, you know, commissioning and sending out that they had received, well, because of Jesus, that relationship and that purpose has spread to the whole world. 
Finally, God's intention is beginning to be realized. Israelite, non-Israelite, slave, free, woman, man, it doesn't matter. If you are a follower of Jesus, then, as Althea read, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, get it? A holy nation, get it? A people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To be sure, once you were not a people, you had no connection with one another, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, you didn't know what it was like to really be connected to God, but now you have received mercy. Well, I wish we had time to talk about all that, but we'll have to wait until this fall because this fall we're going to spend a few weeks talking about what the church really is. And this is going to be an important conversation for us. Before we end today, we've got to touch on what this chapter shows us about God because it's equally epic. Remember at the beginning of the day, we said if you don't know who God is, then you don't know who's for you, who's against you. You, you don't know your place in the world if you don't know who God is. Well, if we look at the paragraph from Exodus 19 again, we see some, the same paragraph, we see some incredible truths spill out about God. Let's start with the, the, the phrase in verse 5, the whole earth is mine. You see that phrase? This is a very clear, by the way, very early statement of what theologians call, fancy word, monotheism. That means one God. There's only one God. In other words, there are no regional gods, Moses. There's only one God. In fact, I have shown you the power of the gods in Egypt. There is none. And by the way, the gods of the nations you're going to fight against from here on out, essentially the same. They don't exist. There is no God of the sun or of the moon. There's no God of the harvest or the rain. I'm it. The whole earth is mine. In addition, we also learn three things from this same paragraph about God. We'll do these quickly. Number one, God is the one who brought them out of Egypt, verse 4. These aren't on the screen, but he brought them out. Number two, God is the one who lifted them up. Verse 4, I carried you on eagle wing, eagle's wings. He brought them out, he lifted them up. And three, God is the one who drew them close. Verse 5, treasured possession. He brought them out, lifted them up, drew them close. And that last one is really important because it made it clear to them that the Exodus was not just about getting them out of Egypt. Did you hear that? It was also about getting them close to God. And the same is true for us. If God is providing for you, then that's not just so you can hold on to your stuff. That's so he can draw you close to himself. If God is healing you, that's not just so you'll feel better. That's in, in order to draw you close to himself. But that's not all. God is going to give them a small taste of his power in the rest of this chapter. You see, the rest of this chapter is a dramatic setup for chapter 20. When Moses is going to go up the mountain and get the Ten Commandments, Dean is going to talk about that for us in a couple of weeks. And here's what happened in the rest of this chapter. The Lord told Moses that he would come down, the Lord himself would come down on the mountain in a dense cloud and that the people would literally hear his voice speaking to Moses. God told Moses to have the people consecrate themselves. And uh, boys and girls, listen to this. They had to take a bath. They couldn't be intimate with one another. They had to wash all their clothes. I mean, he really wanted them to recognize how significant this was. And then he told them they could not touch Mount Sinai. They couldn't touch the mountain at all. 
They were to set up a barrier around it to ensure that no one even touched it. If anyone touched it, they would die, and this was so important. God repeated this three times to Moses. And then this happened. Verses 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. With a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like, a, <clears throat> like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. <laughs> all right, <clears throat> boys and girls of all ages. Sometimes we think of God like a really, really nice dad. Today's Father's Day. and Sometimes we think of God like a real nice dad. But he's not like that. He's really, really, really powerful. He's not like any human being at all. In fact, whenever people in the Bible meet God, they were usually overwhelmed. Listen, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. God loves me and you so much. He's literally invited us into a relationship with himself. He's shown us exactly what he's like in Jesus, and he's pretty much awesome. And his favorite thing to do is to be good to us and to be gracious to us. And we can trust him. But he's also really, really powerful. All right, let's end. Uh, You know, this chapter helps us remember what is so unique about our faith. You see, in Eastern religions, our, our sense of who we are really gets formed by our religious activity. We, we discover our inner who we are through our religious activity, through our prayers and our religious effort. We discover things about ourselves. In Islam, our sense of who we are really gets formed by our behavior, by our habits, by our obedience to the code. But when we follow Christ, we learn that we are loved by God. That's who we are. Without regard to our performance, without regard to our behavior, We are his treasure. That's the starting point. He speaks that to us before we've done anything. In other words, in other religions, we perform or we behave in a certain way, and that earns us a new standing with God, or that gets us to a new level of understanding of ourselves. But in Christ, we're loved, period. That's the starting point. And that love then transforms us into the kind of people who can and who want to live in a certain way. I mean, that's why the first followers of Jesus called their message good news. Here's the thing. God has been saying that same thing all along. But it wasn't until Jesus that most of us could finally get it. The great king, the universe maker, wants to extend a relationship to us. He doesn't need to. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He just wants us to know how much he loves us. And then when we know who we are and when we know who he is, then we can understand our place in the world and we are ready to put our skills to work. 
I'm going to close in prayer and ask the worship team to come. Let's pray. Father, you have, in us, you have begun the business of uh, speaking the same message and telling us who we are and telling us who you are and telling us how much you love us. I pray, Lord, for the ability to hear and receive that message today in new ways in each of our hearts. Remind us. You have given us so many skills, Lord, with, with people, uh, with, at work we show our skills, in our family we show our skills. We, we, we've got intellectual skills. We've got physical skills. We've got social skills. And yet, God, we can't use those skills in any way that's meaningful or coherent if we don't really know who we are. If we're not informed by you, if we're not, if we don't understand who you are, we don't know our place in the world, we don't know what we're supposed to do with all of this. And suddenly, when we come into alignment with you, a lot of that becomes clearer and it becomes clearer and clearer over the course of our relationship with you. And we're so thankful for that. Lord, if there's anyone here today that, that doesn't really know who they are, I, God, we can, we can be in that place if we're nine or if we're 90. And, and we may not know really who you are. We know things about you. But we haven't heard you say, I want to be in a covenant with you. I'm going to protect you. It's going to, act, it's going to be as if you and I, we're in us. And no matter what happens, I'm going to be there with you. We've never heard you speak that. Father, I pray today that you would speak in a way that we can understand it. Hear us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.